0: From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. You know, in this show, we talk about careers. We go deep on whether you should really love your job. We talk about how you orchestrate a career change. I've interviewed executives who leave corporate to write novels and artists who go on to have huge commercial successes, but there's something we haven't addressed, at least not directly and that's money. Regardless of what you do, for most of us works the way we make our money. And so our relationship to our finances has an impact on the career choices we make. It has to. My guest today is Farnoosh Tarabi. She's a money expert and host of the podcast, So Money. Farnoosh talks with people about the money choices they make, how they get out of debt or build savings or retire early know, we all come to this conversation from different backgrounds, with different access to resources. But no matter who you are, there's real power to be had in taking control of your finances. And it
1: starts with talking about them. So let's do that. Here's Farnoosh. Growing up, my parents are immigrants, Middle Eastern. We don't shy from financial conversations. We gravitate towards them. We like to talk about what things cost how to afford things, negotiating, real estate, all those topics we love, and it's our sport. So w- growing up, the the conversations around money were familiar to me at the very least, and I think I, I developed a fluency around money. My dad talked to me about credit uh, when I was a teenager. I didn't really get it, but he took me to get my first bank account, and always with enthusiasm, you know, money was always introduced to me as something that was a great tool, something to strive for, something to protect. And again, did not maybe appreciate any of that <laughs> while I was in the house with them. But it was it's now as I'm on this podcast with you and I'm like, oh, OK, they really set the stage for me. As you're telling these
0: stories, it seems like a lot of your early framework for thinking about money came from your father. And you are a mother yourself. What's significant to the way that
1: women approach this? When it comes to money, we have a lot of battles to fight, whether that's the wage gap, the investing gap, the career gaps too. We, we don't get promoted as much. And I will say there's a lot of forces that curtail us, but I think a lot of it is also our own underestimating ourselves. And so I'll take myself as an example. You know, I, as much as I kind of grew up in this world and I feel confident around money, I, you know, definitely have had have insecurities where there was like marrying um, my husband and making more than him and not knowing how to like w- make that work, but also hitting a point in my 30s when I was just like, okay, I see all these people around me making a lot of money, but I don't think that's really what I want to do. You know, I feel like that's not me, and I don't, I don't even know why I thought that. But it wasn't until I spoke to another woman who was her job is to educate women and feeling more financially powerful, she was like, why not? Why do you think that you making more money is not gonna be a fruitful thing? Because in my mind, I thought that making more money meant more work, more hours, less time with my kids, less time with my family, me unhappy all the time, stressed out. It doesn't have to be that way, right? You can find better ways to make money that work for you. And then when you have more of that money, you know." it's not like you have to give it all back to yourself. You can give it to others if that is what makes you happy because that's the other part of it too. The roadblock for me was the limiting belief that I had was like, I have enough money for us. Like if I have more money, I won't even know what to do with it. You know, like it's, I'm good. I I don't wanna curse this. I don't wanna be ungrateful. I wanna be grateful for what I have and just, you know, just be happy. And she really broke that down for me and was like, no, you need to really, remember that when women make more, the world becomes a better place. Women are more charitable as a percentage of their salaries than anybody else in this world, more than men. And- If you're okay with yourself, great, but you having more money is more power, more options, more influence, more, more all of the things. So what are, what are some of the things that you want to leave as a legacy? You know, and then I got really excited and really charged. And at that point, I made a goal to try to make more money and in ways that were authentic and true to me. I didn't want to like just do what I thought I had to do because everybody else was doing those things to make more money. But how are some ways that I can leverage my expertise, my network, and do it in a really thoughtful way? So I started doing more workshops. I started a podcast, actually, uh, because I need to also be realistic about being a mom. Couldn't leave the house all the time. So it's really interesting what happens when you think about things a little bit differently and you talk to someone. Right. You talk to somebody else about how you're feeling. They might be able to shed some light. So Farnoosh, there's this sense that when something as
0: significant as the crisis we're in hits, we don't want to do anything drastic. We want to lock it all down. No big changes. Don't worry about that promotion. Just hold on to the job you have or maybe you lose the job and then go looking for another job driven by fear. And so often that fear is money. So I wanted to talk about it. I'm
1: curious. Does that resonate at all with you? Fear can actually be used as a really great tool. As long as you really recognize what it is you're feeling, right? I'm a big proponent of recognizing what we're feeling and not trying to ignore it and really acknowledging the mental health component to all of this. I think too much of the advice is just sort of like, be rational. Well, yes, but to get there, there's a little bit of work that has to be done, right? We have to recognize what we're feeling, respect it, acknowledge it. And okay, say, if I'm scared right now, why is that? Let's go to that really dark place, that worst case scenario that we're all worried about. And imagine it's happened right now. What's the first thing you can do to protect yourself? Do you have your bases covered? You may very well have your bases covered, but because the unknown is so scary to us, we tend to turn into this big hairy monster when maybe it's just like a little Elmo, you know, like it's not that scary. So we we tend to over- imagine i think these worst case scenarios again not a bad exercise to go there actually take yourself there if you did lose your job tomorrow if you did get sick with covid tomorrow what would how would your life change are you ready for that you might go look in your inventory and go actually i do have some resources at my disposal but here are the gaps as well so those are the things you want to focus on
0: well the uncertainty piece is is the piece that makes this really overwhelming and really terrifying
1: so Right from the start, what are the basics here? So, it's a few things. One is savings. You must have it. If you don't have something, and now we always talk about six, nine months. Well, I know that's like so far fetched for a lot of people, but we do know that right now, if you lost your job, it would take an average 16 to 17 weeks to find a new job. So, what is that? You know, four months. And do you have four months, not of your salary set aside, but of your bare bones living expenses? So that takes us to step two. Right now, you're not living on bare bones, right? You've got your, all your extras going on still. So imagine if you lost your job tomorrow and you had to live on just the necessities. What are those six to 10 things? It's your rent. It's your, food bill, which you might decrease in in, in, a, in a circumstance like this, you're not eating out as much, you're cooking more, go down the list. Are there things that you're subscribing to that in good times are no, no big deal? But when you're trying to cut back that extra $15 a month, really doesn't make sense.
0: Of course, Farnoosh is starting with the assumption that over here at Hello Monday, we're really great budgeters. And I'd love that to be true, but that may be asking a lot, especially during a pandemic. Anyway, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, Farnoosh will share tips on how to keep track of your spending. And we're back with more of our money episode. My guest today is Farnoosh Tarabi, host of the podcast, So Money. And Farnoosh had some great ideas
1: for how we can each budget better. I've got apps that I use. I like spreadsheets. And I can tell you that there's no best way. It's whatever you're most comfortable in that you're going to be interested in checking recurringly. So if it's an app because you just love to just, you're always on your phone and you are okay with getting all of your accounts loaded in fine. There's personal capital, there's mint, there's you need a budget. Some of them are free. Some of them have a little bit of a subscription model. I would start maybe with mint that is free, but then you can upgrade to some of these others that have a little bit more sophistication. But I also have a spreadsheet that I use because I work for myself. I don't have the luxury of a consistent paycheck. So I have this sort of, I call it a cash flow spreadsheet. Basically what's coming in every month or what I'm anticipating coming in every month. And then at the bottom, it's all of my anticipated expenses. A lot of these are the same expenses every single month. And um, I try to keep you know my credit card bills to a certain amount every single month. It's really that simple. And if you want to just get started and you have no idea how you've been spending or what's going in or what's going out, just look at your last month or two's worth of bank statements online and also your, you know, your credit card statements, wherever you're doing most of your transacting, just put it all out on a spreadsheet. It, you know, it took might take a couple hours, but you learn a lot about yourself through this process. So it's making me think of the way that my wife and I do it. I'll tell you what we do. And um (laughs) it's it's fairly
0: nerdy. I realize that I'm I'm telling you and we don't talk about it with most of our friends yet, but we have a Google spreadsheet that is our family budget where we record our spending. And I like doing this. I'm a nerd about it. And she does it because it's necessary for our family, but would not choose to do it. And so we're having trouble figuring out how to talk about it because, you know, there's nothing more weighted than a talk about finance between spouses who share different positions on how finance works. And so we scheduled a weekly meeting. It's called the Family Projects Meeting. And we literally have an agenda for the meeting. And anything that's bothering us, let's say the electricity bill is like you know, $200 and I'm really angry about that, rather than scream about it when I open the bill at 9.30 on a Tuesday night, I just put it on the agenda and I just bring it up in the meeting and then we just check it off. And that for us has been the secret to family budgeting. It's actually worked really well.
1: Having that frequent dialogue is the North Star for couples, right? Whether you're scheduling it or you're just getting on a cadence of texting each other. Get in the habit of at least communicating about money regularly somehow, and and you can create guidelines for this. Like whenever one of us wants to buy something over, let's say, hundred and fifty dollars or two hundred dollars we should just and if it's for the family like if it's you know we just bought a laser printer we're getting some sort of gadget for the kitchen like let's just I'll send you a link to it that I'm thinking of buying this and I'm doing it weekly that's a lot I hear most couples do the money date once a month but you know once a week maybe in this environment is not a bad idea there's a reason my wife and I check in so
0: frequently on our finances right now and honestly I, I bet a lot of folks out there are in the same position as us you know, her employment is about to change. She's a director at an early childhood center. And because the pandemic has been so rough on that kind of business, the center is going to close in December. She'll lose her job.
1: And that makes us both a little nervous. So we we want to make sure that we're ready. Some advice, maybe unsolicited. Um, yes. <laughs> practice for like a month just living off of one person's income. I say this to couples. Uh, even if it's just one pay cycle or one billing cycle, imagine your spouse got laid off. Let's like live in that. You know, the good news is if it gets really hard, you, you can always fall back on that second income. It's not actually gone, but it's a great way to jumpstart your savings. And it's also a great way to simulate what it may be like, What you know, in this environment, with unemployment where it is at, it's not a bad exercise to go through it. And then you might realize a lot of important things like we're spending money on stuff that we don't need, or we need to have more in savings. And so we will continue doing this maybe for another couple of months. I know so many of my friends pre-recession did this as a way to save aggressively for the baby that was about to come. Or we know that My husband or my wife is going to go to graduate school in the next six months, not making an income. So between then and now, we need to really get a cash savings going. So we're going to try to maybe spend only half of that spouse's paycheck every single month as opposed to all of it.
0: Yeah. You know, I think so much of what you bring in your show to personal finance is a sense of control. It's not about having the most money. It's about understanding your access to resource so that you can do the most things with your life that you want to do.
1: Yeah. It's about strategy. I talk about debt. There's like definitely a cohort of my listeners that never want to have debt in their lives. They're super hyper-focused on paying down even their mortgages. So excited to be mortgage-free at 45. And I'm like, great. What's in your investment account? Can you retire now? No. Because you've been putting all your money towards a 4% mortgage as opposed to a stock market, which for the last 11 years you know, has gone gangbusters. And so what i would love to encourage people is to think outside the norms of personal finance and be more nuanced in how they approach their strategies so just to take a step back here assuming that our listeners
0: have what they need can can manage their basic needs like how do you understand the relationship between money and career
1: it's sort of this this very interconnected interwoven Relationship again. Going back to my one of my my favorite mantras that money affords you options. If you are not happy in your career or in your current job, um, you may you may stay there because financially you don't have any other choices, right? What are you going to do? You don't have savings, so you can't like take time off. It's a it's a privilege to quit your job. It is right. It's a financial privilege to be able to quit your job. And to do that with peace of mind, I've written about that too. How do you quit your job without going broke and living in your car? At the same time, if your money is affording you options, then you can stay in the job because it's, you know, it's, it's maybe not your dream, but maybe it's not the most important thing to you. And your money's affording you other things that bring you joy in your life. For me, it's just a, they're very connected. You've nailed the answer in spades, Farnoosh.
0: I asked our listeners, like, what do you want to know about? They gave me a list of fairly specific questions. And one woman asks, she says, I am nervous to make a change in my career. I'm, I'm nervous that if I make a change now, because the job market is what it is, I won't be able to find a new job right away. How do I think about personal finances in that case?
1: What would likely be your reality if you weren't working right now? on your own deciding to leave, you would probably need at least a few months to find that next job, unless, you know, you have something else lined up. I think that if your job is just not making you happy, stressed, especially right now, this is not a fun time to be stressed at work because we got a lot of stress waiting for us at home. And by the way, we're home all the time, so we can't escape any of it. Right? You want to make sure that you have savings. I know that sounds really annoying because (laughs) I wish that wasn't the answer, but it is. Um, In lieu of savings, maybe it is just the support of somebody else, perhaps, you know, a spouse or a loved one that can take you in for the few months that you need to find another job. But people are hiring right now, Jesse. You know, we think, we hear a lot about the unemployment numbers. We hear a lot about my friend's wife just got laid off. Like it's, it feels like that's all that's happening. But the reality is, is that people are also getting promoted right now. They're getting raises. They're finding new jobs. Let's talk about debt a second. How do you navigate these same questions if you're managing a lot of school loan debt? Mm-hmm. Well, right now, I think given that we are in this pandemic recession, I would say to people that your debt is important, but it's not the priority right now. People would write in and say, should I still pay down my student loan debt if I'm on this deferment plan? And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) But I feel bad, you know, and I get it. People are like, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. And I'm like, or you feel guilty that you took on this handout or whatever you want to call it, this provision. You feel like, you know, maybe you're, Cheating, but it's no. You're, you leverage this if you have the money still to pay down this student loan debt, which is now zero percent, which is actually not even required of you to pay. Use that to put in your four hundred one k. Use that money to save for a rainy day if you don't really have a good nest egg going right now, and then which, deal with which the which gets later. to
0: which gets to something you said earlier, Farnoosh. You were you were saying you have to have savings. I feel like like that so that is the. C. That is the chorus to the song that you are singing us today. Yeah, like, if we've get savings. Anything,
1: that's <laughs> it. It's a. It sounds like it's again. It's an annoying thing to say, but I lived through the last recession and I lost my job in the last recession, and I know that that my savings was what allowed me to not have the fear drive my next j- decision.
0: But right now, what you're saying is that if the decision is between really doubling down and using the income that you have coming in to pay off debt and using it to build up savings that these are special circumstances and you yeah. should opt in favor of savings. How much? Like when, when do we have enough? Cause I, 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 for one, never quite feel safe enough or like I have enough. I don't even know what enough means.
1: Well, going back to our careers, I think it matters where you are in your career. If you are, let's say right out of college, a few years out of college, um, You're relatively employable because you're not an expensive hire. For the most part, you're not making six figures yet in your early 20s. You're more likely to be rehired. I think you can even look at the Bureau of Labor's data where they they break it down, I think, by age of how long it's taking certain cohorts of people to find work. On average, it's four months. But if you're 25, it might only take you a month or two months. So you may not need the full recommended six to nine months of living expenses set aside. That's great if you do, but you're not screwed if you don't have that. If you're more mid-career where you would want that bigger salary and all the things that go with it and you're you're a senior in your job and maybe you are in an industry, like my father, for example, who got laid off at 60, 63, where he was super senior and you know, his industry was shrinking because there's a lot of consolidation and that's actually why he lost his job. There are not many of his positions left, right? So his, it took him a year to find another job, you know, and even then it required him to brush up on a lot of skills and fill some gaps and pivot a little bit within his industry. He ended up getting a great job, but it took over a year. Six to nine months is right now, what we say to people we were saying that to people in march because there was so much uncertainty right although it's still it's it's anyone's guess but i think 6 months it would be great for everybody but again know your know your likelihood to get rehired uh, if that's your goal you know to get rehired somewhere i think that conversations
0: around money often are laced with embarrassment and shame people who haven't talked about money before, they have a lot of feelings as they start to try to talk about it. Yeah. And there are, there are so many places that we can go for information about it. Like,
1: where do we begin? We can begin with ourselves, really. You know, having, it's like, you gotta love yourself more than anyone or you're not gonna receive the love. Like, you have to really get clear on your money narrative. Why do you have certain scarcity mindsets around things or fear or insecurity and you can go down memory lane with a therapist there are financial therapists out there there's money coaches there's therapists and there's also people like me who I've just been in this world for so long I'm super transparent about my own finances I'll I'm just here to help people you know get stronger as far as their financial mindset and thinking, knowing that they can do it, showing them strategies and creating that safe place. So wherever you feel safe, starting with yourself and then maybe it is your spouse, maybe it is your mother, maybe it is your sister-in-law or a coworker, having a money friend, identify someone else in your life or in your near life that you're getting vibes where like they're also kind of in the same place. And you can talk about these things in a way that, doesn't feel um, like one person's up here and one person's down there. Maybe we can each support each other, be advocates for each other, keep each other accountable to save, you know, hundred dollars a month or whatever your goals are. Here's here's a, a final question for you. What's the immediate goal for you for now? How can I optimize our finances, supercharge them over the next fifteen years, but also live the fullest life? Cause i've been working really hard and i will continue but it's like times like these right now we're doing a lot of reckoning a lot of reflecting
0: that was farnoosh tarabi you should check out her podcast so money you can actually hear me on an upcoming episode and talk with farnoosh about my own money history and about the connection between money and careers money can be really hard to talk about but if you're not Talking about it, you can't really think about your career, at least not proactively. It's just that money brings up all the feels, right? Shame, embarrassment. Maybe we choose not to learn a lot about it because we're nervous about our own ability to handle it. Maybe we become kind of anal retentive about it because we just want to know that we're okay and that's the vehicle we use to do that. At any rate, I feel like this should definitely be our topic for Office Hours this week. So Office Hours, for those of you who haven't come yet, is a coffee break, quite literally, for our producer, Sarah Storm, and me. We'll convene, as usual, Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. Want the link? Follow me on LinkedIn at Jesse Hempel, or email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. And now, if you like the show, please take a moment to weigh in on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, we love it when you rate us, and if you review us, you might hear part of that review featured in a future episode. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm. Joe DeGiorgi, mixed our show. Florencia Riando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Victoria Taylor, Juliette Barreau, and Cassidy Jackson budget time to make this show great every week. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious breadmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor in chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday and thanks for listening. Where in Brooklyn are you? I was in Brooklyn up until May. Were you up until May?
1: Talk about smart timing, Farnish. Um, and you're where you're in Montclair now. Yeah. As much as I've tried to be very original in my life, this is the most unoriginal thing I've ever done is to move to Montclair.